Hello everybody, Bradley here, and welcome back into After Film, a casual film discussion podcast where today we are beginning to take a look at all of the races for the 95th Academy Awards, starting in this podcast with the Best Actor nominees. I'm going to chat about them, I'm going to rank them, I'm going to tell you which performances I like, which performances I didn't, all of those types of things. Before I get started though, please make sure to head over to the show notes to find our socials. They're just a cool place to hang out and kind of casually talk about movies, but also you will know which deep dives we are doing next. So, so we did Titanic. Titanic has been released. That was super fun. Rachel joined me for that one. Rachel is hopping back on another deep dive to cover the Hunger Games of all movies, a movie I have been really nostalgic for recently after revisiting the book, and I just kind of want to talk about it. We also have Knives Out in the pipeline, as well as a few kind of more classic movies. Jurassic Park is in the pipeline as well. And I just want your feedback on those films before we record those podcasts. So the email address is afterfilmpod at gmail.com. If you have any things you want to say about the movies, we are kind of covering next in our kind of post after film reviews. I don't know how to talk about this podcast because part of it is looking ahead like we're doing now. And part of it is revisiting movies that came out decades ago. So that's that's just how we're going to work. But after film pod at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts about the films that we are doing for the upcoming deep dive, as well as if you have any thoughts about this best actor race, because right before the Academy Awards, I will do one kind of mailbag podcast with all of your opinions about these races. With that being said, though, let's hop right into the Best Actor race at the 95th Academy Awards. I'm hopeful I'll be able to get to all the categories as we approach the Oscars. We're getting a little tight. The idea for this podcast didn't occur to me until pretty late in this season. I have watched most of these movies, which is awesome. Obviously, I would need you to do a podcast like this. But just know that I'm really up against the clock here. So I'm going to do my best before the Academy Awards to hit everything. But if I don't hit every category, I'm sorry if I don't make it to editing or something like that. But the best actor, we're going to start there. Uh, This one we're starting with because I've actually seen four of the five performances. So it's a good place for me to start. I have watched all 10 of the best or the best picture ones as well. Uh, So that'll be another podcast. But here we have Bill Nye nominated for Living. This is the one performance I haven't seen. Now, a good critic, a good, you know, journalist of any kind would tell you, I can't fairly rank these if I haven't seen one of the performances. But since I'm just an idiot with a microphone who watches movies, I'm going to tell you right now, everyone seems to think Bill Nye's performance is the fifth best performance of these five. The betting odds have Bill Nye as dead last, or at least the betting odds where I can bet in the world have Bill Nye as dead last. And also most people's opinion on the movie Living is that it's fine. It's okay. It's not that great. It's certainly not amazing. Bill Nye is the best. Bill Nye is the best part of everything is in, to be fair. Um, but just know that I kind of will be just holding on to him at fifth in these kinds of rankings, just because I haven't seen it. But also, that seems to be the general consensus. So I feel pretty comfortable with that. Obviously not ideal. I wish I could have seen everything before I talk about it on a podcast. But I felt like I had enough information there to fill in some of the blanks. So we have Bill Nye nominated for Living. Paul Mezcal nominated for After Sun. Can't wait to talk about that performance and that film. Colin Farrell nominated for The Banshees of Inna Sharon. Brendan Fraser nominated for The Whale. And Austin Butler nominated for Elvis. Talking about these actors in these roles, I do want to just stick on Bill Nye for a second here. As funny as I think it is that I haven't watched the movie, so I'm just an asshole on the internet being like, Bill Nye, fifth, whatever. He's a legend. Bill Nye is amazing. This is his first nomination, I believe. I think like most of the nominations for actors are first nominations. I read that in an article somewhere. Um, But Bill Nye is great in everything he's in. Uh, One of my favorite things that he is in, it's a small clip from Doctor Who where they're taking Van Gogh to a museum to see Van Gogh's painting 
things. And Bill Nye, just in that one scene, is absolutely lights out. And so that that's just my favorite memory of him is in that scene in Doctor Who. But you'll have watched him in a whole bunch of other things. So I just want to give a quick moment here to shout out Bill Nye for being fucking awesome separately from this because I haven't seen the movie Living. He's going to end up fifth on my rankings. He seems to be fifth on everyone's rankings. But I just want to shout out the amazingness that is Bill Nye before I uh, move on to the other performances. The first performance I'd like to talk about is Austin Butler in Elvis. So because I didn't get the chance, because this podcast didn't exist to talk about the films, I'm going to do a little diatribe on these movies and what I thought about them, just in case it adds context to my opinion of the performance. So Elvis as a film... I enjoyed watching it in theaters. I had a good time in theaters. It didn't really resonate with me. I have a couple of films, namely After Sun, which we'll talk about when we get to Paul Mezcal, that I would put in the Best Picture nomination instead of Elvis. When I go to rank those nominations, Elvis is either going to be 10th or 9th for me. When it was good, it was really good. I thought the first hour, hour and a half, maybe even the first two-thirds of that movie were fine. I thought the film in moments was a little bit too much. I also watched Babylon recently, and Babylon is a film that just assaults your senses, but in a way that felt like the film knew it was doing that, and that was kind of the point, and that was also part of the stories. Like, Hollywood at that time is just assaulting your senses, you know what I mean? But in Elvis, it just felt a little bit overdone. The editing is incredible. I really liked the way the editing participated in the assaulting of the senses, but it's just a little bit too much. I wasn't sure how to feel about the racial aspect of the film. Part of this is that I am a pretty privileged white dude who lives in Vancouver, Canada. Like, I don't have a lot of um, perspective on these, the personal perspective. I do my best to, to empathize where I can and to try and understand what other people go through, just like most people do. But I just, when you get into these films that have a huge racial element to them that aren't told by the people experiencing that that are told by Baz Luhrmann I just don't know how to feel about it and it created this kind of awkward dissonance for me where I couldn't really jive with that part of the film because I am 99% sure that if I went and read about it online you'd have a bunch of people complaining that that isn't an all an accurate depiction of that and that it was like tastelessly done and so I just didn't know how to feel about it. In the off chance that Baz Luhrmann did do a really good job with it, I apologize, but that doesn't change the fact that me going into the movie didn't know how to feel about it, and I wasn't convinced by the movie that I should take everything with that um, specific part. I shouldn't take it, or that I, sorry. I was sitting at the movie, I was watching it, and I wasn't convinced as a spectator that I could just take it at face value that this is a kind of an accurate and tastefully done depiction of the racial aspect of that film for the time period. So that was the first thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. The Tom Hanks performance is downright terrible. The Tom Hanks performance is so bad, and I had someone on Twitter, because I tweeted that it was bad and that I hated it, and... One of the people on Twitter is like, how do you like, what if though, what if uh, this is actually a really good performance that this manager dude that he's playing the Colonel, I think it's his name, the Colonel, I watched this movie like a month ago. Um, I did get to see it in theaters a month ago, though, they re released it once it got nominated. So that was cool. Uh, someone on Twitter was like, what if this is actually just a really good performance of a really weird person? And in my head, that's great. Like, fine, fair enough. It didn't that didn't change the fact that it didn't really fit with the movie and you're allowed to adaptively change things to make them more watchable for the audience. Like, even if it's an accurate depiction, uh, the depiction by Tom Hanks completely takes it out of it. Like I think he's trying to do a Dutch accent of some kind. It's awful. It's terrible. I didn't know it was possible for Tom Hanks to be the worst part of your movie, but it, he was the worst part of this movie. 
So I don't hate this movie. I think it's a, I was a bop when I watched it in theaters. I had a good time watching it in theaters. I'm never going to rewatch this film. I don't know if I'd really recommend it to people. If you were looking for a bop, go watch Babylon. That's my opinion, right? So this film just didn't really do it for me. Although it's not terrible is my kind of overall review of it. Austin Butler, though, bringing it back to the best award or the best actor award for the Academy Awards is incredible in this film. There's a lot of people online that love this performance. He's one of the favorites to win. He just won the BAFTA for it. There's a lot of kind of contrarians online too that really don't like this performance and the whole voice thing gets them the, the, the voice gate, which is so funny. Austin Butler just walking around talk shows still speaking like Elvis, which is fucking hilarious. But I was, I was convinced by this performance. I think Austin Butler went balls to the wall as Elvis, he's easily the most convincing part of the movie. He blends in the best. When this movie, this movie is an assault on your senses. And Austin Butler feels like he's playing that better than the rest of the movie does. The movies, the puzzle pieces of the movie don't quite click well for me. But the one thing at the center of it that clicked right into place was Austin Butler. I really enjoyed this performance. I thought he was fantastic. I thought there wasn't a ton of a real depth he needed to get to, but when he did need to get there, he got there. And there is quite a bit of subtlety in the character that I don't think Baz Luhrmann wrote that I think Austin Butler brought to the performance. So I think this is the easiest to meme performance of the five that are nominated. I think this is just the easy one to point out and kind of make fun of and be contrarian about. And so people are doing that. And look, it it is a, it is a strange performance in some ways. It is a heightened performance. It is a bit of a crazy performance, but I really loved it. And maybe I'm a sucker for crazy performance performances i keep bringing up babylon this is just a babylon podcast now everyone in babylon has a crazy fucking performance and i liked all of them too so maybe i'm just learning about myself that i like a fucking crazy performance but austin butler really really did it for me uh when i rank these i have I really i don't know where to put him i haven't ranked them ahead of time i'm ranking them live on the podcast except for bill nighy sorry my dude uh but austin butler killing it uh, as elvis i really really like this performance Moving on to Brendan Fraser in The Whale. The Brendan Fraser comeback is here, and he is so, so sensational in this movie. Now, this, this for me is the reverse Elvis. I know a lot of people that liked this movie. I know a lot of people that really didn't like this movie. My opinion on The Whale is that I loved it. I was very moved by it. I, I remember kind of sitting... What did Kyuhoi Kwan say? God, I hope I... I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly. Oh my goodness. I should have Googled that before I started talking into a microphone, but I didn't. Um, that he sat at the theater at the end and just kind of stared at the screen for a little bit. And that's how I felt at the end of The Whale. Do I think everything in The Whale was eloquently done? No. Do I think The Whale kind of hits you over the head at some point so it's what, with, with what it's trying to tell you? Absolutely. Do I think, though that the whale really achieves the, I, hmm, I don't know how to explain this. What I like in a movie, and this we'll talk about this with Colin Farrell and Banshees of Sharon, is even if the movie didn't perfectly execute what it wanted to try and tell me, it made me leave the theater with just so much to think about and so much to unpack and unravel in a way that wasn't a burden. Sometimes you leave the theater and you're just sitting on the car ride home and you're confused about the film, and that confusion leads you to all the questions. Like, why did this character do that? Why did they say that? This didn't make a ton of sense. But there's also that kind of unpacking that you're doing where the film just clicked for you in a way 
that just leaves you with all of these emotions and feelings that you have to sort through. And it took me like a couple of days to stop thinking about this film. I really enjoyed the experience of seeing it in theaters. I really enjoyed Brendan Fraser's performance. We'll get to that in a second. Hong Chow in this film is incredible. She's nominated for this film in Supporting Actress, and we'll talk about that with that pod. Uh, Sadie Sink, a lot of people did not like Sadie Sink's performance. I thought she was fucking lights out. I keep using that phrase, lights out in this movie. She, in my tweet about it, I said that she stole every scene she was in. And I truly believe that. I'm not I'm not being the contrarian here, trying to be like, everyone hated Sadie Sink. I'm a Stranger Things fan. I'm a 10-minute all-too-well video fan. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my my immaculate credibility on the line here for Sadie Sink. I watched that film and I thought Sadie Sink was absolutely incredible. The way the film digs into Brendan Fraser's character. I can't remember his name, but he's an English teacher. The English teacher character. (laughs) This is how much I love the movie. I can't remember the main character's name. The way they kind of dug into that psychology and he's, he's kind of nearing the end of his life and how is he reckoning with that? And how is we are the, how are we as the audience kind of reckoning with the fact that uh, the reason that he's kind of nearing the end of his life is is almost completely self-imposed on like he's doing it to himself and Hong Chao's character is trying to help him. But how do the relationship between Brendan Fraser and Hong Chao? I should really remember. I, sh- I could just IMDb this and I'm just going to keep committing to this bit where I don't know the characters names. Um, what is the backstory between those characters and why is she committed to helping him? I found that so, so fascinating. What is the origin story for Brendan Fraser's character as to why he's kind of this deep into this terrible situation that I found really, really effective. And so, oh man, I just love this movie. And well, I I will agree absolutely that not everything was super sensitively done or eloquently done. And it did kind of beat you over the head. And I'm sure there's a lot of pieces out there um, about the depiction of a severely overweight person I really, the emotional beats of the film really worked for me despite all of that. And I left the theater with an immense sense of just, oh my God, I love that movie. And sometimes it's all, sometimes you don't need to think about it more than that, right? Sometimes you just leave a film and you go, you know what? I really loved that movie. And that's how I felt about The Whale. So I haven't tried to talk myself out of loving the movie. I really did. And Brendan Fraser in this film, he perfectly encapsulates just the rawness of the i'm trying to talk like a film critic and i don't know what i'm trying to say here he delivers such an emotionally grounded performance that i couldn't help but just kind of sit there and be in awe of it there are some lines of dialogue where he he can't do a ton of real physical acting in a way because he is playing the character who's 600 pounds who's kind of stuck to his couch or to his chair or to his watcher. But the way he just like tilts his neck as Sadie Sink walks behind him, right? Trying to see his daughter and have a conversation, but he can't physically do it. And the way that the pain of that kind of plays on his face, the way he delivers these little one-off lines just absolutely broke my heart. The, the way he depicts a man who is so hopeful for his daughter, despite all the evidence suggesting he really shouldn't be like just the way Brendan Fraser made that performance his own and really elevated it without him in this role. The film does not work. 
And I think that's a real, maybe that's a sign of a bad movie that I'm just not picking up, but maybe that's also the sign of a really fantastic performance. I thought Brendan Fraser brought every bit of detail, of nuance, of emotionality in this performance. Uh, he, he brought it out. Every bit you could squeeze out of it, he squeezed out of it. And it was just, it was incredible to watch. And I really love this performance by Brendan Fraser. Next up is Colin Farrell in The Banshees of Inna Sharon. Banshees of Inna Sharon, a film that I liked more than The Whale and Elvis. This film just did everything it needed to do for me. I loved every second I was watching this movie. There are some really dark, 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 like as dark comedy as you can get while still being a comedy. There are some really dark comedic aspects to this film. There are parts of it where you have to... It's a really grounded film. It's just a small film with a couple of main characters. Four, there's four kind of main characters, and all of them are nominated for Academy Awards for their performances, which tells you how good the performances are in this film. But there's four main characters. There's a couple of sets, like, and those sets are like a bar and two houses, and it's stuck on a small island in Ireland set during some kind of Irish civil war that I'm not going to pretend to know enough about to have an opinion on it. But the way the movie just accepts that that is what's going on and really lets you live in this kind of small Irish town with these four characters, but then heightens some aspects of it to the point where they're almost unbelievable, but in a way that allows you to relate more or understand more of what the story is trying to tell you. Uh, the main thing there is that one of the, I don't want to spoil anything in this podcast, but uh, one of the main characters decides for some reason, uh, for a reason that makes sense in the film, that he's going to start cutting his fingers off. And you're just like, that. that's not, does that make sense? Is that something that would happen? You know what I mean? But you you almost just allow it to happen because the in, in the world of the film, it really feels like it makes sense. And, and that kind of thing was super incredible. The film is about a, a man who just doesn't want to be friends with another person anymore. And the reasons for that are, are very interesting. We'll talk about that in a second. But with that premise as a film, just a dude who doesn't want to be friends with another dude, you'd think, man, that's probably not a very good movie. And yet it is so full of warmth and light and and coldness and despair. And you just get this whole range of emotions where you simultaneously feel so good about these characters and so bad about them at the same time and you really go through every every emotional beat with them is something you can really relate to we've all had friendships we've all had friendships that have dissolved for one reason or another and sometimes they don't dissolve for any good reason at all sometimes someone just moves away or goes to a different school or or life just takes you on different paths and, and getting a story about someone intentionally not wanting to be friends with someone else and how that's depicted, I just found was was relatably sad. And sometimes you watch these films like The Whale. The Whale is a great example. We'll just talk about the films we're already talking about where I was really moved by it and I was really emotional while I was watching it, but I couldn't really relate to it. After Sun's a great example where it's like, I don't have a daughter, so I can't relate to this exactly. But with the way Banshees have been sharing kind of talked about the issue of friendship, I found so relatable in a way that just kind of hit me more emotionally than I think maybe it hits other people. I don't know. Everyone fucking loves this movie. So maybe I'm just talking shit right now. But I just found that premise of the friendship and the way that premise is executed throughout the movie to be just phenomenal. 
The other thing the film is trying to do is is talk about how you view your life, how you view your legacy, and how how do you view what you leave behind for the world. One of the characters in the movie, um, intertwined with the the friendship aspect of it, um, really feels like he needs to leave something physical behind. In the film, it's a piece of music. Right. But he needs to leave something to be looked back on. Right. There's people that have been dead for hundreds of years and we still look back on the work. They're still alive in some way. Right. There's a legacy there that people in the future, long after this person is dead, will still say their name, will still revere their work. And that's one that's one of the characters point of view is that is what's important. And one of the other characters points of view is that. You know, the objective of life isn't to leave anything behind. You know, we kind of live on a small island. No one's going to fucking remember us. But if I can be kind along the way, if I can be a net benefit to society along the way, if I can treat people well, if I can make these small positive differences that will eventually um, be kind of buried with me when I'm dead and when everyone I'm affected is dead, but will have made a huge difference in the time of my life, then that is what makes life worth living. And that is such a poignant and, and and really existential thing to talk about that every every single person, every single human person has to confront. Uh, everyone lives on a certain spectrum of being afraid of death. Everyone lives on a certain spectrum of, of how they feel about death. If you are a very religious person, um, death is kind of tied up in your religion. I'm not very I'm not very aware of many religions that don't have a huge um, significant opinion on how death works, on how you should live your life to achieve death and to what happens after you've died. You know what I mean? Um, and if you're not a religious person, maybe you just think like, you know what? You know, one of my favorite takes on death is, I can't remember who said this, is like, death is kind of like just, just before you were born. Like, do you remember that? Was it that bad? I don't know. I'm just going to become a tree or something. You know what I mean? And so you have this wide spectrum of views in the world on death and on legacy and on what you leave behind and on how how should you live your life to achieve something in death. And the way that film explores that, tied up with this friendship thing, it just layers together two beautiful kind of themes. That the, the, the movie weaves them beautifully together, but they're also two things that we as an audience can pretty easily relate to or find find something of ourselves in. And the way it executes that it, it executes that is just phenomenal. I'll talk about the other performances that aren't Colin Farrell's because they're all nominated too, so we'll get a chance to talk about them. But I do want to focus on Colin Farrell here. He plays Podrick. I'm just going to say Podrick. It's not how you say it. In the movie, it's like more of like a Podrick, but it just sounds weird in my accent, so I'm sorry, Irish people. I'm just going to go with Podrick because it's just easier to podcast about, and I'm sorry. Uh, Colin Farrell plays Podrick, and Podrick, he's, he's a character in terms of performance that needs to get to an emotional place but it's not this, you know, a lot of films, we'll talk about it with uh, Andrea Riseborough in To Leslie, um, but there's a lot of films that, or a lot of performances that get nominated because they hit this real deep emotional despair. I mean, Daniel Deadweiler in Till, I believe, I haven't seen that movie, but that's another performance people pointed out this year, where they just hit this real emotional kind of bottom, a place that you can't even believe an actor can get to. Colin Farrell has a very different job in this film, and he executes it really well. He plays the character of almost the village idiot, or at least he is perceived by other people to be a bit dull, to be a bit boring, to be a bit of a layman, to just kind of exist. He has a small house. He has a sister around. They feed their donkey, Jenny, who's amazing. And he just kind of walks around, and he's, he's genuinely, genuinely kind, right? Like, 
Um, even even at the point of um, there's a point of kind of friction between the characters in this movie. One of the characters is like, you didn't do anything to me and you didn't say anything to me. Like everyone in this world kind of agrees that Colin Farrell is a nice guy. You know what I mean? But he has to play someone who is not really the village idiot, but he's also not very, he's not particularly smart. He's not a very profound person. He's just a humble dude kind of living his life. Um, but he has to play someone who is just a humble dude living his life, who is being made out to be the town, uh, the, the kind of the village idiot and how he feels about that. And this is a small island, so he only has a handful of friends. And when one of the people on the island doesn't want to be friends with him, that is deeply emotionally affecting because he didn't do anything and he didn't say anything. And he doesn't have, this is a small island, he doesn't have a, a large depository of friends that he can go and pull out him. He really thought that he was just friends with this guy and yeah, I don't know how to explain this performance. It's so subtle and so detailed, yet so aloof in a way that matches the character perfectly. And the way there's a line, it's all over TikTok right now, but there's a there's a line in the bar where Colin Farrell is going like, oh, you used to be nice. And the way he delivers, or did you or or did you never used to be nice? The way he's trying to figure out whether this other person in the movie is nice or mean-spirited or whether he was being tricked the entire time. And just the way he delivers those lines, it's not an emotional, like, breaking down, crying, kind of drug addict kind of performance that typically gets a lot of credit, but it is such a brilliant performance and all of the subtleties and all of the facial expressions and all of the line deliveries, just the way Colin Farrell comports himself in this film to really embody the character he's being tasked with embodying the way him and Brendan Gleeson play off each other is incredible. If you've ever watched, um, what's the other film they're in in Bruges? I think it's called in Bruges. It's another, uh, Martin McDonough film. In Bru- I think it's called in Bruges. Um, they're fantastic in that film as well, but their chemistry, you can tell that they just really love acting together and that they really milk everything they can out of this, out of these performances. So Colin Farrell, absolutely exceptional in the Banshees of Inner Sharon. And finally, we have Paul Mezcal in After Sun. Man, After Sun is a film that fucked me up. All right. I just want to be clear. After Sun is a film that fucked me right up. I was sobbing at the end of this film. I I think I can understand how people would watch this film and be a little bored by it. I understand why it's not nominated for Best Picture, although I definitely would have put it in there over Elvis. <laughs> Absolutely. I get it. I really do. You you are really going through a very subtle story. It's not even that subtle, but it's kind of a subtle story in many ways. Uh, the performances are, are quite subtle for sure. And it is a little bit boring in terms of how they're executing that. It's a father and a daughter on their vacation. And there's not a lot like their relationship is everything. There's not a lot of other conflict going on. When I was watching it for the first time, I was spoiled on the ending because the ending sequence with Queens under pressure is just phenomenal. But I'd seen that ending sequence, so I kind of knew where we were going. I liked Paul Mezcal in uh, Normal People as well, which is a show I just watched. I was kind of in on Paul Mezcal and he was coming up on my TikTok and everything. So I kind of understood a lot about this film. So it's kind of spoiled going in and having having the end kind of spoiled, I think, made it easier to get through because I knew where we were heading but there's not a lot of other tension happening in the film, right? There's a part where um, Paul's daughter, Paul Mescal's daughter, who's played by Frankie Correa. I'm going to Google this right now. Apologies for uh, my keyboard clicking, but you know, it's like ASMR. I'm doing After Sun movie 
cast. I could just cut to when I find the cast, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah, Frankie Corio, who is a child actor in this movie, who is a teenager, not really a child. Like They are a child actor in that they're under 18, but they're not six years old. There's a difference between a six-year-old and a teenager. Um, but she plays Paul Mezcal's uh, daughter, whose name is Callum in the movie. Paul's character's name is Callum, and Frankie Corio's character's name is Sophie. You can tell I love these movies because I remember all the character names. There's a part where Sophie, uh, Frankie Corio, um, goes and hangs out with a bunch of teenagers. And at, at any point, I'm just expecting her to get kidnapped or her to get like uh, accidentally like thrown in a pool and she'll hit her head and be drowned. You know, I'm expecting some kind of heightened action to happen and it never does. You know what I mean? So it's a it's a very it's a very um, calm film in that way is and there's no big set pieces. There's no big blow up that's going to happen there's not like a huge thing you're working towards um the film's premise is that and this is this is a spoiler for the film but it's kind of how the film is described in its own little blurb the premise is that uh, sophie adult sophie is looking back on this vacation with her father through the use of videos she recorded it's in the late 90s i believe and so she has these kind of tapes that were recorded on a on a just a video camera, but still that use tapes is before digital uh, video recording. And she's using those tapes to piece together the memory of her father, who's played by Paul Mezcal, because her father um, committed suicide at the end of this vacation. And so uh, this vacation was the last time that she saw her dad. And she's trying to piece together her memory of her father with how she should feel about that. Should she feel betrayed? Should she feel empathetic? Should she be kind of trying to understand what he's going through? Should she be angry about that? And she's kind of working through all these emotions through the use of these videotapes and her memories when she was a teenager, which I just find a very fascinating concept. And so you're kind of just moving through this vacation and the performances are all very subtle, but they are so so good i was surprised when paul mezcal got nominated for this although by the time the nominations came out it seemed that he was going to get nominated it seemed like uh it was going to kind of pull in his favor for that kind of fifth nomination spot what i will say though is i am surprised after son as a film didn't get more love because it's fucking incredible charlotte wells i believe directed this film and wrote this film it's kind of based on her life um and i yeah it's one of those films i understand if people didn't love it but I was so emotionally affected by this film and every single bit of it worked for me um, that if, if, it, if I was nominating it for Best Picture, I'm putting it over Elvis, I'm putting it over Avatar, The Way of Water, although I really did like the second Avatar. And so there's just there's a couple of films that are nominated for Best Picture that I'm I'm probably putting it over Triangle of Sadness. I don't know if I love I need to rewatch Triangle of Sadness. It's one of those ones you need to watch twice. But um Oh man, After Sun just it fucked me up. I was sobbing by the end of this. The end sequence with Under Pressure by Queen being the song and it's the it's the full combination of this entire movie and all the flashbacks and all the memories. Oh my god, it's if you have not seen After Sun, be prepared, bring some tissues, don't go into it with a with expecting to be happy. By the end of it, this movie has no interest in making you happy. It is very interested in dealing with a man that has severe depression, who's trying to pull himself out of it, who's actively trying to put on a good face in front of his daughter, who's kind of cottoning onto him, who's kind of not, who's old enough to be exploring. She's coming of age in a way in this movie, and she's old enough to kind of start getting these hints and start understanding the world a little bit more, and it all just culminates beautifully. I fucking love this movie. 
go see After Sun. Paul Mezcal, though, the performance that we are talking about here is sensational. This falls into the Colin Farrell kind of level. Interestingly, Colin Farrell and Paul Mezcal, more subtle performances. Brendan Fraser, kind of a little bit elevated, but still a, a bit subtle. Austin Butler, fucking off the chain performance. You know what I mean? Uh, but Paul Mezcal in the Colin Farrell mold in terms of these nominations, a very, very subtle performance. He is doing so much with the smallest line deliveries, the smallest facial expressions. He's doing so much with you as an audience needing to understand what's going on to understand his performance. If you are not bought into the idea of this film kind of being about a father's bout with depression and how his daughter is feeling about that kind of depression and suicide through the use of her flashbacks and memories. If you're not kind of bought in as an audience to that concept, the performance might not make perfect sense, but as the, cause he's having to do two things here. He's having to play this character, this depressed father who's doing his best to pull himself out of it, but ultimately can't, but he's, he has to play a performance that's being directed through the lens of his adult daughter and how she feels about it in retrospect. So in that case, the performance has to be a bit removed in a way that I felt like Paul Mezcal uh, just did absolutely exceptionally. He's also like 26 and 26 playing the uh, the father of a, I guess 26 or so when this movie filmed. I'm not sure how old he is now, probably 27 or 28. I think he might be my age. I'm 27. So maybe me and Paul Mezcal are the same age. But the way he plays the father of this teenager was exceptional for someone who doesn't look really that he could be old enough to play the, the, the father of a teenager. This is just a fantastic performance. I don't know how to talk about this performance other than it's emotional, it's affecting, it's really, really deeply rooted in the concept of this movie and Paul Mescal executes that perfectly. And it's again, another performance maybe we can relate to. Um, I'm sure most people listening to this podcast who have watched After Sun have dealt with some kind of, maybe not a full-blown depression, maybe not suicidal thoughts or anything, but people have been upset. People have really high anxiety. Everyone's gone through periods of their life where they're they're feeling like, what is the point of life? What am I doing here? What is my purpose? Where am I going? What am I achieving? And I think Paul's Mezcal's performance can be relatable, at least in that way as well. And there's so many subtle details in this film. If you're going back to watch this film, I've watched it twice now, you're just picking up even more out of the performance. You're picking up even more out of the the, the subtle plot points that are kind of being shown to you in this out of order through these videotapes and memories kind of way. And everything about this performance with Paul Mezcal, I just... I can't explain to you how much I loved it. I was also someone, maybe for context, just so you have the context, and maybe this is why I love this movie so much. Um, I lost my father when I was pretty young. I was not a teenager. I was like eight. And so my memories are a little bit more sporadic. I don't have a ton of videotapes, those types of things. So not the exact same situation. And it was not a suicide thing at all. It was a completely separate kind of thing. And so there's obviously no built-in resentment or anything like that in my later life. Um, but there is, there's still a plot point in this movie Right, that as someone who only gets to interact with their father through flashbacks, memories, photos, whatever videotapes we have, those types of things, maybe that's why this movie affected me so much. Is I felt it was a really good portrayal, if anything, of just that feeling, and and that is a feeling that I I can understand very, very, very well, even if I don't have the resentment, like I, I even if I don't have the problem of knowing how I should feel about it. Um, it's still a, a type of situation that I can relate to very closely. And I thought everyone in this film dealt with it uh, with very delicate care and the performances reflected that. 
And now it's time to rank these performances. I reserve the right to change my final rankings on my final Oscar predictions pod. Everyone's opinion on art and performances and books and movies and television always changes with rewatches, always changes with time, perspective, those types of things. And so here we go. I'm going to talk to you through the odds. I live in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and most of our sports betting, uh, this is on a sports betting site, but most of our betting happens through playnow.com, which is kind of the official BC government betting website. So this is where I'm getting my odds from, right? Because I will be doing, I will be putting my money where my mouth is and betting on all of my predictions for the Academy Awards the day before they happen. And so here are the odds that playnow.com is giving me when I go to bet for the 95th Academy Awards. If I were to bet at the time of recording this, which is on February 23rd, 2023. In last place, the least likely to win, according to playnow.com, is Bill Nye for living. If I bet $1 on Bill Nye, I would win $50. So for every dollar I bet, I would win 50 in return. So pretty long odds. I'm sure playnow does not want to give me $50 for every dollar that I bet. Next is Paul Mezcal in Aftersun. For every dollar that I bet on Paul Mezcal, if he wins, I would receive $33. So that's pretty good. That's a good chunk of change. Next is Colin Farrell for Banshees of Inna Sharon. For every dollar that I would bet on Colin Farrell, I would get $5.50 in return. Easily the best bet in terms of return on investment. Colin Farrell has a huge chance of winning, which I don't think Paul Muscala or Bill Nighy do. Uh, but Colin Farrell has a real chance of winning, and that's a good payout if he wins. I think if you were going to make all put all your money in one basket... To maximize the chance of winning with the return, you'd pick Colin Farrell. And then Brendan Fraser and Austin Butler. This is post-BAFTA winning Austin Butler. So Brendan Fraser, getting a lot of hype from playnow.com, have equal odds for every dollar that I bet on them. I would get $1 in return if they were to win. This is a really tight race. Austin, If, if any of Austin Butler, Brendan Fraser, Colin Farrell, or Paul Mezcal won, I would not be upset. I loved all four of their performances. And I really love Bill Nye. And I'm sure his performance is great in living. So if he won, it's not like I would be like, also, I don't have a pay, like, whatever. I'm not going to be upset about these awards anyway, because they're stupid Hollywood awards. And I'm just like a pleb who, <laughs> who works at an outdoor. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't need to care about these awards. I don't have any emotional investment in any particular person winning. Um, so I'm just exaggerating here. Um, so it's certainly between those top four, I loved, loved, loved all of their performances would be happy. If they won, if Bill Nye won, I love Bill Nye. And look, if everyone was moved by living and thinks his performance is great, hey, he got, he got a nomination. There's a lot of good actors out this year, and he got a nomination. So his performance must have been something. Ranking these performances is difficult for me. I'm doing this live. I'm looking at the betting odds right now. I'm doing this live. Fifth is Bill Nye. I'm confident that Bill Nye is fifth. I have to put him there because I haven't seen this movie, and the betting odds and everyone else seems to say he's fifth. In fourth... I am going to go with Austin Butler's performance. My personal ranking, I'm going to give him fourth. It is a wonderful for, wonderful performance. It is really balls to the wall. And I, I'd love to vote for a kind of over-the-top performance. But I just think the trio of more emotionally effective performances is what I'm kind of in the mood to vote for this year if I had a ballot. You know what I mean? I think Austin Butler was great. I don't know if he was as good as the other three. So I'm going to go Bill Nye in fifth, Austin Butler in fourth in my personal rankings. Not who I think is going to win, but in my personal rankings. In third, I'm going to go for Brendan Fraser in The Whale. I, I loved his performance like we already talked about. I just think the movie... 
the movie, as much as it heightens him up, the movie puts him in the situation to act this well. I do think the film lets him down a little bit compared to the other two. Um, in The Whale, I feel more than the other two that his performance is the standout performance in the film. And kind of without it, the film doesn't really work. So yeah, in that sense, it's a great performance. I don't really have, there's no real objective way to do this, right? Like it's all just how you feel. Brendan Fraser is third for me. I really love him. I would love for him to win. In my personal rankings, he's not who I would have winning. He would be in third. So you have Bill Nye in fifth, Call or Bill Nye in fifth, Austin Butler in fourth, Brendan Fraser in third. In second, I'm going for Paul Mescal. I think Paul Mescal in After Sun is the most subtle performance. He has so much to do just to get across all of these very, 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 very subtle things. The movie puts him in that position. It chucks the ball up. He dunks it. He's incredible. If you just watched the movie and didn't love the movie, I think the problem Paul Mescal is going to have is if you watch the movie and didn't love the movie and it didn't deeply resonate with you, the performance is going to come off a little dull a little boring, a little bit unexciting. And I worry that that's going to do him in. He's not winning this award, I don't think. Um, but because the movie really worked for me and it was that emotionally affecting, I'm going to give it to Paul Mezcal in second for After Sun, which leaves Colin Farrell as my preference for winning the Best Actor Award in the or for the 95th Academy Awards in a couple of weeks. I think Colin Farrell's performance is the best of the five. I think it takes what all the other performances did really well and just adds a little, uh, except for Austin Butler's, again, he's crazy. Um, he, he takes, okay, I haven't even seen Bill Knight. I'll rephrase this. Colin Farrell, Brendan Fraser, and Paul Mescal have a Venn diagram of performances where they all overlap with each other in a certain way. Well, not exactly. And I think Colin Farrell combines the kind of subtleness of what Paul Mescal has to do. And I think there's a lot of overlap there, but I think he gets to a little bit of a deeper place. And that's the movie putting him in that position that is not, like it's not Paul Mescal couldn't get there. When he needed to get there, he did. The movie just puts him in a few less places to get there. Although I will shout out the rug sequence when he buys the rug and the sequence when he's kind of crying on the bed and, and the sequence when he's apologizing to, to Frankie Corio's character, Sophie. All those, Paul Mescal gets there, but I think Colin Farrell, I think the movie sets him up to get there in a way that just is just a little bit above Paul Mezcal and Brendan Fraser. This is not serious critical film analysis, but I think Colin Farrell is the best performance. I might change my mind by the time I have to officially put my money where my mouth is. But as of today, February 23rd, I've got Bill Nye in Living, um, Austin Butler in Elvis, number four, Brendan Fraser in The Whale, number three. Paul Mescal in After Sun number two, and Colin Farrell in The Banshees of Sharon at number one, my favorite of the five performances. Oh, we got there. It's been 45 minutes. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please let me know by leaving a review. Five stars, please, 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 please. I would appreciate it. Uh, feel free to send your emails to afterfilmpod at gmail.com. Make sure to check the show notes for all kinds of things. We got a Twitter account. We got all, just check the show notes for all the socials. I'm still working on getting those set up, but we will get there. The Academy Awards are happening in a couple weeks. By then, hopefully I'll be able to talk about all of the other categories. We'll definitely get through all of the actor categories, best picture category, and those types of things. But hopefully I can get to like adapted screenplay and editing, and, and maybe we'll get there. Maybe we won't. Anyways, though, I enjoyed this podcast. Also, let me know what your ranking is. How do you rank these five performances? I would appreciate knowing from your end how you feel about the performances as well. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next one.